Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. I'd like to encourage us today as we look at the text, the same text we looked at last week, actually. I'd like to encourage us to look at it this way, that the things that we just heard about that are real life in, in what's happening in the lives of, our, of people here in this church, that the things that uh, we heard about, the joys and the frustrations and the places that God is moving and the places we wish God would be moving, to encourage you to look at those and see that this morning we're going to read about why, about why that's true. Why do we have people coming up and testifying to the goodness of what God is doing and why do we have people coming up and with tears in their eyes and saying, this is really hard. We're going to read about why. We're going to read about how this works, how God interacts with us, his sinful creation that is set free in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, let's read verses 17 through 24 together. We read this entire text last week. We could only treat the first half of it roughly, and so we're going to do the second half of it uh, today. Paul writes this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity." But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Teach us, Lord God. Thank you for this word. Break it open to us. May it instruct us. May we learn from it. May we grow from it. May it find root in our lives. May it be brought out in our lives. May it be true in our lives. May we bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we could, we could cover the first part, and I uh, hopefully I'm guessing you were able to tell that it was, uh, it was of some difficulty, this task of covering the first couple of verses of this text which the whole text hangs together and ought to be treated together, but we don't have time to do it all together in one shot. And so we're left with dealing with the first part, and it wasn't all that much fun, wasn't it? Was it? As I propose to you that uh, we're, the, the emphasis is to walk as children of light, the first thing Paul does is turn that around and say, well, don't walk as children of darkness. Don't walk as the Gentiles do. Don't do what they do. And then he gives us a glimpse of what that is. And you remember that glimpse. And if you were here last week, you remember that glimpse. You remember that he used phrases that we don't like to necessarily think about, certainly not in application to ourselves. He uses phrases like being futile or empty or vain in our thinking or having our understanding darkened so that we don't understand what we think we understand. We think we know how things shape and we think that we know what things, what are happening and then we actually don't. I'm gonna tell you, none of us likes that. None of us likes... That, that's what gets us in fights with each other, right? Is, well, that's not how it is. You don't, you're not really seeing what that's like. And you're like, yes, I know exactly what's going on. That's not what's happening. An understanding that's darkened. 
And he says those things happen because there's ignorance, because their brains, they don't understand who God is, they don't understand what God has done, they don't understand who they are, they don't understand what God wants from them. There's through ignorance, and sometimes it's not through ignorance, sometimes it's through a hardness of heart. It's, it's something that's happening more, not up here, but down here, where God does something and we say, God, I'm not okay with that. And when that happens, then we harden our heart to that. And we say, that can't be God. That doesn't, that's not what God does. He doesn't allow pain in my life like that. He wouldn't allow someone that, that, that says they love me to treat me like that or all kinds of stuff that happens. But those blocks are there. And so they are no longer, they're no longer in tune with God. They're walking as Gentiles, not as children of light. And the end result is that when that hardness begins to show up, that it just layers upon layers upon layers. And eventually they get to the place where it says they are calloused and they have been given themselves over to fulfill the desires of their flesh or to just live according to what their flesh wants. That's what they do. I remind you once again that those words are, of course, so, so 100% true for so many people you see living out and around in our culture. But I remind you of what Paul started off with us in Ephesians. Back in chapter two, he says, you were like that yourself. You were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked, following the prince of the power of the air, following the course of darkness. You once were like that too. And so this morning, I again just invite us to consider, because of where this message is gonna head, to invite you, us to consider this. I mean, it, it is about what's happening out there. And I love, even in our sharing time, there's a strong evangelistic focus that comes out. And I think that's good for the chief need of every human being is that they are right with their creator. That's just what it is. But we also need to understand that we are still in that journey where there's futility in our minds and darkening in our under, darkness in our understanding at times that needs to be brought to light. I'm so grateful this morning I can start with this line. All that depressing stuff and all that stuff that isn't fun to talk about and all that stuff that we don't want to acknowledge, the stuff that isn't all that much fun to really wrestle with. The bad news is not that much fun. And so when you get to this and Paul says, by the way, I'm telling you all this stuff, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. That's not how you, what you know of Christ. That's not where, we are not supposed to walk like that. We're, that's not what God intended is that we walk with vanity or futility in our minds or darkened understanding. He wants us to live with life and light so that our path is lit, so we know where we're supposed to go and we know how we're supposed to respond and there's joy and life in us. That's what he wants. That's not the way we learn Christ. Now it's an interesting phrase, by the way. I don't know if it catches you off guard when it says it that way because it's not normally how we'd say things, that's not how you learned Christ. We might say that's not how you, the way you, what you learned about Christ, or we might say that's not, that's not, uh, you know, how you understood, but he uses this word specifically because the word for learned there is the Greek word manthano, which you don't need to know that, only to know that it is the root for uh, other words that show up in the New Testament all the time. It's the root word for these words called, uh, uh, I'm just to skip it out of my head, Mathetes, which means disciple or to be, or the action, the verb that goes with it, mathetuo, I think is how it, what it is. But the root word of that is what you learn or as a disciple, that's what that word disciple means, by the way, is a one who has learned, one who has been trained. So perhaps if you want to rephrase this verse here to help you understand it, what Paul says is he's defining what the gent, how the Gentiles walk, and he says, but that's not the way you were discipled in Christ. 
That's not the way you were taught or trained or what you, how you learned Christ to be. So this is the great subject we dig ourselves into, and it turns out to be the great subject that we've been paying attention to all year long, and I love how God is bringing these themes together because he's gonna tell us we should not walk as the Gentiles do. We should walk as disciples, and that's not how we learned. That's not what we learned about disciples. And he goes on to say this. I'm just gonna finish the phrase. For you assuming that you have, or, and by the way, when he's saying assuming, he's not actually wondering whether you have or not. He knows he was there. He's the one that brought Christ to them right? So it's not a question of like, well, how did you learn Jesus? It's, I, I was there. I brought Jesus to you. So the assuming is not really an assumption. It's a reminder to them. That's not how you learned Christ. You heard about him and were taught in him as Jesus in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. But I want to pay attention to this phrase right here because I think it's a good phrase for us to pay attention to. You have heard about him and you were taught in him. Now, the first thing I want to do actually is make a correction. I do this every once in a while and I hope when I do this, I hope when I do things like this, it does not undermine your confidence in scriptures or undermine your confidence in my teaching of, your, of you to scripture, of the scriptures, but I hope it strengthens your faith in the fact that when people apply themselves to understand and study the scriptures that God indeed reveals and teaches us. I take a little exception to the ESV, adding a word there. I'll just cross the word out for you. He says, you have heard about it says, you have heard about him. If you read the Greek, it does not have any word in there for about. So it literally says, you have heard him and were taught in him. And I think that actually slightly changes what we're talking about. Right? Because last week I made a big deal about the fact that what's happening with people that walk as the Gentiles has to do with up here and down here and how those two things have to try to come together. And the last thing I would want us to do is to say, well, that's not what you, how, what you heard about Christ, which mostly resides up here. Right? He says, you have heard him and you were taught in him. You heard Jesus and you were taught in him. You were instructed. I might even present to us that there is a little bit of a model being laid out here for how we do discipleship. You know, that hearing Jesus refers to when Jesus first comes to you and he begins to call your name and invite you to follow him. When you hear, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They know who I am. They respond to what I've said. And that can refer to the initial calling that all of us, if you're a believer here this morning, all of us can point to at some point, whether we put our finger on it right then at that moment and said, Jesus is calling my name, that's exactly what it was. Jesus began calling your name. And if you responded, you heard him, right? That's, that's plain and simple. If you responded, you heard him. But I think what's even more instructive about this sentence is that this, in fact, I think illuminates what the great goal of discipleship is, should be. The goal of discipleship is that we can train people or help people to hear Jesus. Now catch that. It's not my role to tell all of you what you should think. Now, I... That's part of my job. So like I, I, I instruct you in scriptures and I, if you have spent any time with me, you already know that you have to ask, you can ask me a question and I'm very free to share all kinds of things what I think should happen, sometimes too much actually. Because I'm becoming more and more convinced that my job as a disciple or to disciple someone is not to tell you all the things that you should think or do or how you should respond in situations. My job as a discipler is to help bring you to Jesus who is your 
author and perfecter of your faith, the leader of you. The, the Holy Spirit is in charge of you, not Merlin. Now, I believe I'm filled with the Spirit, and so I believe that I can help you discern that, and I believe I have things to say about that, and so do lots of other people with each other. But it is, it's not the goal of discipleship, not that we can help people to hear Jesus, that they can hear Jesus. I've said this in smaller settings, and maybe I've never said it in this kind of setting, but one of the, I think, one of the greatest debilitating factors of my cultural background, and most of you know that I grew up Amish, so, but, but of, I could even probably broaden that a bit to say our cultural background, is that one of the most debilitating factors, or the most debilitating things that happens out of that is that we are raised in an environment where we're just told what to do, and we're not taught how to ourselves come to Jesus and ask him, what do you want me to do in this situation? And it's, it has devastating results, doesn't it? There's people sitting here right now in the audience that know exactly what I'm talking about. It has devastating results. That is not how you learned Jesus. That's not how you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard him and were taught in him. And I want you to hear Jesus' own words. Jesus' own words. Matthew chapter 11. Some of the most incredible comforting, wonderful words we're ever going to hear the Lord and creator of the universe say. He says to us, let me get to the right spot before I start reading. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Come to me, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I would tell you this morning that both of the, you heard him and you were taught in him, are represented in Jesus' own words. I would tell you that's why Paul could say them in Ephesians, is because Jesus said them. If you're going to come to him, it means you have to hear him invite you, right? He says, come, come to me, he says, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. That's the invitation. When you hear him and you respond to that, then he says, I want you to take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. I tell you again, we, we skip past this stuff so easily and so quickly, and we do not stop to think about how incredible it is, how mind-blowingly incredible it is that the king of the universe tells you and I that you can come to me and I'm going to teach you. And of course, I always follow stuff up like that by recognizing the this insanity of my and our response all the time. No thanks, I got better things to do. I'd rather look at this or watch this or I'd rather fiddle with this or I'd rather, I, I don't care what it is. It is insanity, right? It's insanity that we would not go to the king of the universe when he offers to us and says, hey, come to me, learn from me. I can give you instruction. Yeah, I think I got a better source, thank you. What? But we do it all the time, don't we? <laughs> we do it all the time, don't we? Let's just continue this, and I love, and you guys weren't all part of this, some of you were, but I love how God puts things together and wraps things up that I don't, I've, I, they're totally outside of my control, but we talked about some of these exact same verses in our Sunday school this morning. I'd like to look now at uh, John chapter six, because this idea of being taught by Jesus is uh, actually not even new with Jesus, Jesus points it out. I'm going to read just a snippet of verses. Um, John chapter 6, verse, I'm going to start in verse 43. He's in the middle of a discussion here where he talked about uh, bread, and he 
kind of, uh, they come after him because they want him to feed him with the physical bread, and he starts talking about uh, them eating him, and uh, they're not so happy about the things he talks about, and they grumble about it. So he says, in answer to them, verse 43, Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That was a bit of the focus this morning in our Sunday school class, but it's this verse I want to put up. Jesus went on to say, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. That's from Isaiah, by the way. And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, referring to himself. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one who may eat of it and not die. I am so that one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I read the whole, I didn't want to stop in the middle of Jesus' paragraph there. But he's teaching them. So we talked about the fact that he invites us to come and then he will teach us. And then he does something that um, Dwylan pointed out to me after Sunday school that we missed in our Sunday school class. So if you're in our Sunday school class, pay attention. Uh, we missed about the fact that some of the things that they really didn't like about him was that he was calling himself God. Because what he does, he says, by the way, if you come to me, I will teach you. And he says, you know, Isaiah said that everyone's going to be taught by God. And when anyone who's taught by God, if they're taught by God at all, if they're going to learn from God at all, then they're going to come to me. Did you catch what Jesus just did? He said, anybody who's going to ever pretend or claim to have been taught by God anything, they're going to come to Jesus. Nobody's ever seen God but Jesus himself. He came from, and then of course he makes the reference to the manna, the bread, and he claims that he's going to offer something better than God offered in the wilderness, in the the desert to his people because he said they ate the bread, but they all died. You eat from me, you won't die, which of course is why it angered them is because he was calling himself God and proposing that he had something better to offer and that they had no choice but to come to him. What I wanted to connect this morning in our message time is the fact that we can learn from God. God wants to instruct us, and Jesus is very clearly the agent of that instruction because he says, come to me, and I will teach you. Now, I didn't, I didn't put this verse up here, but Jesus also very clearly said before he ascended, he said, or before he went to the cross and was going to ascend, he said, there's the Holy Spirit that's going to come that's going to lead you and remind you and teach you of all the things I've said. So that's how those three work together. But I want to make one more connection this morning because I do believe that The story of the Bible is a story of God's heart for the nations and people to come to know him, and he uses us in that, which means, which is why I believe every one of us should have an evangelistic, evangelistic bent, that we care about people who are lost. If we don't, well, I'll just leave that there. We should care about people who are lost. And I remind you that Jesus, when he sent out the 72 in Luke, when he sends them out he gives them instructions about where they're supposed to go, what they're supposed to do. You know, he talks about if they receive you, if they don't receive you, dust on their feet, and all that stuff that's going on. At the end of that, in Luke chapter 10, verse 16, he says, the one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Now, I don't want to make too big of a deal about this because it's not the, the thrust of the message here this morning. But I want you to understand we are to be burden bearers, or to, and I shouldn't say that, not burden bearers. We are to be message bearers of the gospel to people around us. And it's a whole other discussion about how that works and what all that has to do. In fact, it's really what the unit in Sunday School is about, so come and join us if you're not already joining us. 
But we've got to see that when God says through the prophet Isaiah that he's going to instruct everyone, and then Jesus says, come to me and I will teach you, and now Jesus left and says, I'm going to fill you, my people, the church, with the Holy Spirit, and they should go and bring the gospel, is that that's that chain of instruction coming all the way down through us, that you hear Jesus and are taught in him through all those means, which is why Jesus says, if they listen to you, then they're actually listening to me. They're not listening to you. Also, if they don't listen to you, by the way, then they're, it's not that they're rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And when they're doing that, they're actually rejecting God because that's who, I, that's who I was sent from. Just want to connect all those things together. Now, before we go on, I want to do the, get to the next part here, but I want, to, I want to say one more thing because last week we talked about this phrase that's in their text this morning that I read. And the phrase was that we are corrupted through deceitful desires. And that word corrupted shows up, and I think it's important. I'm just going to take a little, it's like a little, little, little halftime break. The work we're about to talk about coming up next is all possible because we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I love the words that Peter used when he talked about that because they connect to this. If the deceitful desires of our flesh, if they corrupt us, they corrupt us, they ruin us. Peter says this when he wrote his letter. He says that we should know that we were ransomed, that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Notice he used that same word, that walking as Gentiles, walking in light, that's the same, it's the same play. You were ransomed from the futile, the empty waste that you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, not with corruptible things, but such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That is a central part of understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ because everything else that we can do to try to save us is something that's corrupted, that's ruined because it's something of the flesh. That's why Jesus' salvation works, because we were, per- we were ransomed, not with perishable or corruptible things, but with incorruptible things, such as the precious blood of Jesus Christ without spot or blemish. Can I point out one more thing to you? Brilliantly, Paul, in the text in Ephesians chapter four, connects two things together that I think are important for us to catch this morning. This is a theological point, so just hang with me here. But he brilliantly connects together the prophetic Christ, the Messiah that was predicted to come, with the historical Jesus. Did you catch that? You probably didn't, and neither would I have unless somebody pointed out to me, so don't feel bad. Verse 20, he says, that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as, is, as the truth is in Jesus. Two different terms, two different meanings. He connects together the prophetic, waited upon from God, Messiah, Christ, the Christ, with the historical Jesus who had just walked on the earth died, rose again, and went to heaven. That's really important because the truth is in Jesus, that Jesus is the one that God promised. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. If we were discipled in the truth, in Jesus Christ, then we're going to find ourselves in this kind of process, the rest of our text this morning. Now, I just put up three more, well, it's it's three words in the Greek. It's actually more than three words in English, but it's three words in the Greek because they're the words that carry the force for the rest of the sentence. Actually, it's what Paul has been driving to with the entire text. Three force, and they're said with force. They're said, uh, I, I don't know the, 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 the grammatical terms, but they're said with, like, with, with, with the push behind, the emphasis, the force, the command is on these three words. In the English, it reads like this. To put off your old self, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self. Now, there's some phrases behind there that we're going to get into, but it's these three words. So we're going to just look at each three, all three of them briefly. 
Put off is the Greek word apotithemi. I put that in your handout if you were following along there. Apotithemi means exactly that. It means to put away, to cast off, to set aside, or in other New Testament language, you might substitute the word crucify, because lots of times uh, the writers of the New Testament, Jesus himself, talk about that we should crucify our flesh. It's the same phrase. We should put off our old self. In Colossians 3, verse 5, Paul uses the same phrase. He says, put to death, therefore, apotithemi, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. It's the same thing. In fact, if you want to read a parallel passage to the, what we're reading in Ephesians chapter 4 and into 5 here, it would be to read Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 to the end of the chapter. Because you're going to read the same language, the same things that Paul is trying to get across. Put to death, therefore. We need, and, and this is just, this is blunt. This is, it's like I said last week, we have a choice. We can say we, we, we can acknowledge this up here and do nothing else. We can say we don't even want to acknowledge it. Or we can say I acknowledge it and I let it move back here, down to here where something actually happens. You have a choice to make. If the, the, the ways we inherited from our forefathers, that Peter said, or if the Gentiles, the ways they walk, are futile and empty and vain, and our understanding is darkened, and we're, we're, we're separated from God, we have no life in us, if all of that's true, then we have a choice. We can change that. And to change that is this right here, is to put off the old self, is to cast it away. Tithemi means to place. It's to place it away. Apo is away. It's to, it's to remove it, to set it aside. It's to crucify it. It's to say, I, I, I mortify, I, I say no to it. I, this is getting me in trouble. My, my desires and my flesh are deceitful and it's corrupting me and it's getting me in trouble. I don't want that. I put it away. I, I reject it. That's what all that, that's what's all entailed in that. And that's good. That's biblical. That's exactly what Paul is saying. That's how you learned Christ is to put off the, the old man. I believe it's what Jesus did every time when temptation came his way, which came his way a, a lot. But every time when temptation came Jesus' way, I think it's exactly what he did. He put off the humanity in him. He cast it aside. He set it aside. But I can also tell you, it is not enough to just put off. That's where the next phrase comes in. Because we should not just put off, but we should be renewed. This is the word ananehoho. It's a fun word to say. Well, if you like saying funny words anyway, ananehoho, it means to be renovated or to be reformed or to be renewed. This is where the New Testament and Old Testament, but where the biblical doctrine of repentance comes in. Repentance means to change your mind, right? It means to turn away. Both those definitions come from Old and New Testament. This is where repentance comes in at. We are to be renewed. It's not just about putting off the old man. We have to be renewed. Something has to be changed. We have to be reformed. We all know what happens, right? When you put off the old man and you're not renewed. What's going to happen? What's going to happen is what the scripture says is that the dog returns to its vomit, right? The pig returns to its pig pen. And I'm quite confident there are plenty of us sitting here this morning that can say, I know exactly what that's like. I can put off the old self all the time. If, I, I can, oh, that was bad, that was bad, that was bad. I want to do that, and I put it away. But unless I am renewed... I go right back down those same paths to the same places. And I love the phrase Paul uses here. I'm just going to use the phrase that's in, in the text for this morning because he says that we are renewed in the spirit of our minds. I tell you, he's trying to capture the same thing we talked about last week about the fact that stuff is happening here and stuff is happening here because he uses two of those words that don't always go together, but he's going to put them together. He's letting us know that this renewal, this reformation, this, this renovation that's supposed to happen, this, this repentance, this, this renewal that's supposed to happen inside of us, it's not just a, a logical 
I changed my mind. I was wrong. It's not just a psychological thing that happens up here and I, oh, now I understand something differently up here in my head, and so that's great. At the same time, that would be, that's why he brings the word spirit in with our minds. It's the spirit of our minds. At the same time, if you take away the mind part and only the spirit, he's saying, no, 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 no. It's not some esoteric, mystical experience either. It's not like you have some, some mystical renewal experience and now I'm a changed man. It's that we are renewed in the spirit of your minds, of our minds, which is both of those together. It's a reformation of both our thought and affection and emotion and our mind, the, the very core of us that drives us who we are and helps us to see how, what the world looks like and makes decisions for that. It is to this that way back in the Old Testament, long before most of us even think that God was thinking about this kind of stuff because that all came with Jesus, God is talking about this kind of stuff. If you look in Ezekiel chapter 18, he's talking about who should die for when people sin. Because they had this idea that, you know, uh, if, if I sin, then my kid's gonna die on my, for, for me or, or, or something like that. Or if, my, because if, I, if I struggle with something, it's my dad's fault or it's, my, it's some ancestor's fault. Because the, and he, he, read, you can read all of chapter 18, but I'm gonna read the last part of chapter 18. Because he says this, God says this through Ezekiel. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, Every one according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your root. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. And it is from those ancient words of Ezekiel that we hear the, the echoes or the, actually the precursors to what Paul was going to write here about these words to put off and to be renewed. And we're going to get to put on here in just a little bit. He says those very, cast off those works, get rid of them and, and let a new heart and a new spirit be formed inside of you. Why would you want to die? And God, God's saying, I just want you to know, I don't, I don't want anyone to die. I don't want anyone to walk in darkness. I don't want anyone to spend eternity apart from me. So turn and live. Again, there's the invitation. That's how you heard Jesus and were taught in him. Well, let's go to the final word there, to put on. Because I'm going to tell you, church, it's not good enough to put off the old man. That's not enough. And it's not good enough that after you put off the old man to be renewed and changed inside but he says there's one more thing that has to happen. You have to put on something. You have to put on something. That word is the word enduo, which means to put on or to clothe yourself with. It's actually a word that if you think about to clothe, actually an interesting way to uh, phrase this word is to sink into something. Is to sink in. If you get this idea on a cold, chilly day and you have this warm, fuzzy blanket that you just love to wrap and you, and you just like, just like wrap yourself back into it and, and wrap it around. That's the word enduo. That's what the word enduo means. That you clothe yourself, that you sink into, that you, that you put on as, as clothing. You put on. So we are to put off our old self. We are to be renewed in our spirit, the spirit of our minds. We're renewed, renewed in our minds and our hearts. And then we are supposed to go ahead and put on as God's chosen ones. Again, pulling from Colossians chapter 3 verse 10. All these other things. And again, you go through and read those lists. We're going to get to some of these things. This is preparation. We're going to get to some of these right here in Ephesians. Some of these, I said this last week, some of these in-your-face, practical, it's, it's not about having a theological discussion about them. It's about saying, is this what my life looks like? 
Is this what my heart does? Is this how my brain thinks? Is this who I am? Has the core inside of me been changed so that I can say I've put off the old flesh, I've been renewed, and I've put on the new flesh, the new creation that God has created? And look at what he says about that. The new self that's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It reminds me, it reminds me of a word, of a, of a sentence that I spent some time with back in chapter 2, verse 10. I, I was going to put those words back up there. We'll get, we'll, you'll keep hearing the words. So. It reminds me of Ephesians 2, verse 10, because he says that we are his workmanship, God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if you remember back then number of months ago or whenever it was, when we covered this, that I, I told you that the first line is referring to God's creation, that we are his workmanship, that God created us. The second line, when it says created, I wish it wouldn't say created. I wish it wouldn't, because it's the Greek word ktizo, K-T-I-Z-O, tidzo, which means, which carries the aspect of redemption or, or of being paid for, of something being reformed. So it actually, I think it should be more accurate to read that we are his workmanship, created by God, redeemed in Christ Jesus for good works. That's why, that's why Jesus bought you back, is for good works that God prepared beforehand a long time ago. And this is the same thing. We're, we're, that's the same thing he said. You should put off your old self, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on your new self, which is what God created you to do from the very beginning, to honor him, to worship him, to be made in the likeness of God. Well, let's just look at that phrase, the likeness of God. You, you, we understand that was how it was from the beginning, Right? When you read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God created, it says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We were created in God's likeness. And then, of course, this thing called sin came along and destroyed, altered, marred, perverted that image inside of us. And we've walked apart from God until Jesus redeemed us and bought us back so we could again walk in freedom and that freedom meant that we can walk back in this image. That's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He's talking about the veil being lifted when we come to Jesus. And at the end of that passage there, he says, and we all with unveiled facing, faces, let me just say that right. And we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord. Are, I still can't read it right. I, I think I'm missing an S in there. Does that, is that, am I right about that? Let me just turn to my Bible so I can read it because I don't trust my typing skills. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you catch what's happening? I, I, I want to make sure we see what, what, what's being said here. You were created in God's image. That's how God designed you when he created you. Sin got in the way and marred that. So, it was, so it was sep we were separated and broken. But in Christ, we have been redeemed. And when we, re when we return in Christ, then this is what's happened. That we are being transformed back into that image from one degree of glory to another. That we are, as Paul just, and I read the verse, but that we are created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Once again, I beg of you to see the, 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 the contradiction here. I've used this phrase before, and I highlight the corrupted part. We are corrupted by deceitful desires. This time, forget the corrupted part and talk about the deceitful desire part because our deceitful desires corrupt us. They're, they're a lie. They're empty. They're, they're deceitful. And here he says, we are created after the likeness of God in what? In true righteousness and holiness. In truth, that's the, the force, that it's the truth. The truth goes with both of them. In true righteousness and in true holiness. In the truth in which we were created. And he already said that before, right? For the truth is in Jesus. 
Now let's put this all together. I just want you to, I want you just to, 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 to hear it one more time as I try to, try to pull this whole thing together. Apart from Christ, we are futile in our thinking and our hearts are darkened. We don't understand things. We think we do, we don't. But when Jesus begins to call us and we begin to respond to that, then there's light that starts shedding and we begin to realize that we're futile in our thinking and we're darkened in our understanding. We begin to realize that we're separated from the life that God has for us. And as we respond to that, the process that happens is that we put off the old self, we are renewed in the spirit of our minds, and we put on what God tells us to put on. We put on the new self. Again, we have to talk about all these things in the coming weeks. But as that happens, as we put off and are renewed and put on, as that happens, you live life with me, right? You understand what happens? Because suddenly, with a newer and brightened understanding, I see some things in my life still that my thinking is foolish and empty and my understanding is darkened and I don't have quite right yet, don't I? In which case, I continue to be taught, I continue to hear Jesus and be taught in him so that I continue this process of putting more things off and being renewed and putting more things on. And guess what happens when I'm done with that? Ah, now there's something else that I suddenly see that wasn't quite right. I didn't understand quite what I was ignorant about or that I was hard in my heart about. And I go back and say, oh, I hear you on that, Jesus. I'm gonna put off that old man. I'm gonna be renewed. I'm gonna put on that new man. And it's just an ongoing process, right? It's an, you know what the Bible calls that? That's called sanctification. That's the process of sanctification. It's why the writer of Hebrews says one of my very favorite verses in all of scripture, for by a single offering, he has perfected, past tense, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, present tense, are being sanctified. This, what Paul just laid out for us is as you no longer walk as Gentiles, but you walk as children of light, you should see this as an ongoing cycle. An ongoing cycle that as Jesus points something out in your life that is the old man still, and you say, I'm gonna put off the old man, I'm gonna be renewed in the spirit of my mind, I'm gonna put on the new man, and as that happens, now you suddenly see there's something else that Jesus still needs to work on. And I will tell you, I'm assuming every one of you knows this, I will tell you for myself, that's the process I'm in because I'm not there yet. I have not arrived yet. I don't think there's a single person here that can say that, that should say that. If you say that, I would say you're lying. This is what it means to walk in children, as children of light. To walk in the light. This is what it means to put off, be renewed, and put on. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think there's times in our walks with Jesus that we get tired of that. We get tired of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, poking at something in us and saying, this isn't right yet. And we say, I'm just done. I'm tired of that, that process. I'm just, I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna coast for a while. I'm just gonna stay right here for a while. I think it's what happens in our lives. I think we get discouraged. We get tired. I think it's our proud flesh that says, I'm tired of someone keeping on pointing out to me that I'm not right always that I'm wrong, that there's something in me not right still. So we protect ourselves and say, I'm just gonna coast, I think I'm good. And we compare ourselves to people around us who may be a little worse than us, according to our opinion. But I will tell you, to walk as children of light means that until Christ returns or calls you home, I think you're on that journey of sanctification still. 
Which is why I want to share with you my other favorite verses. I have a lot of them in the Bible, but my other favorite verses from the book of Titus, when Paul instructs Titus, because they are so instructive to this process of sanctification. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. It's here. God's grace is here, bringing salvation for all people. Jesus brought salvation for all people. But look at what else the grace of God does. It's training us, disciplining us, it's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, right now, where you're at, waiting while we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I submit to you, brothers and sisters, it is this question that I think we need to be answering every day and probably even many moments of our days, every moment of our day, this question that we need to be willing to answer. Will you continue to submit yourself to the sanctification process that Jesus Christ wants you to be on, walking in true righteousness and holiness, which looks like hearing him, being taught in him, putting off the old, being renewed, and putting on the new. Putting off the old, being renewed, putting on the new, putting off the, I could go on for the rest of the afternoon. It is this, I believe, that should be drummed into our hearts and minds. It is the great renovation project that God is undertaking. It is the strength and the power of the gospel that he wants to do. Because as he does that in us, guess what happens to all the people around us? The same kinds of things. I think it would be perfectly appropriate today when I pray, which I'm about to do, for you to just make that commitment to him again, that Jesus, as my creator and redeemer, you have every right to point out things that are not right in my life that I need to put off, and I want to put them off, and then to be renewed. I ask you to renew me in the spirit of my mind and to put on what you're showing me that I need to put on. Because Jesus, you are worth it. God, thank you for your message this morning, the word that you've brought to us this morning. And I invite our hearts this morning, God, as you've prepared us, you've led us here. I agree with the sentiment earlier, the spirit's here and working, and, 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 and you've already done lots of this, I think, already this morning. But I would just uh, invite your spirit to continue the work that you're doing, apart from my words, or in conjunction with my words, doesn't really matter. That we this morning here, again, here, that we have a, we have a choice of how, where we're gonna go, what we're gonna do with this. If there's futility that's pointed out, if our minds are ignorant or our hearts are hard about something, and if you choose to point that out to us today, Holy Spirit, we have a choice of what we're going to do. First of all, we can have a choice of whether we'll allow you to point that out to us even. And then if you do, we have a choice about whether we're going to say, yes, I will put off, I will, I will, I will crucify the flesh, I will, I will put off the old self. I will allow you, Holy Spirit, to renew the way I think and where my heart's at, the affections of my heart, and I will put on the new, the new, that new self that was created in the likeness of you, God, in true righteousness and holiness so that I am responding appropriately to you. God, I'm just gonna pause for a few moments and allow you to work with us.
I'm struck, Father. I'm so struck this morning how there's times when these kind of things come with all kinds of emotion and all, and this morning, it doesn't feel like that at all. It feels like you are simply here in this room with us and asking us, do I have a right to do this in your life? Will you submit and surrender yourself to me so that I can do this in your life? That you're willing to hear me and be taught by me. And you're asking us to answer that question. It is also my great privilege this morning, Father, as I think of these things and I think of these people that you have just allowed me to, to, to spend Sunday mornings with. It is my great privilege to just thank you for this body. Many, many, many of them by evidence of how they live their lives and the conversations they have and the way with which they expend themselves and give, which is theirs for the benefit of somebody else. All those things, many, many, many of them have demonstrated to me that this is exactly what they want and they are growing and, they are, and many of them are far beyond me, if you want to put it that way. And I'm so grateful, God. I'm, I'm so blessed by it and I ask for your continued outpouring of grace. We're not there yet. You have so many things you want to do through us as your body yet and we want to say yes to you. We want to say yes to you, not so that we would look amazing and awesome, but so that we would have the joy of being, being led by the king of the universe and bearing his name. Thank you. We give you praise and glory. You deserve it, Jesus. You deserve every bit of it. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, you came. Oh, you invited us to follow you. And you're such a good master. We glory in you, Father. In you, Jesus. In you, Holy Spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.